Hello and welcome to another episode of Into the Black Archive. And the question we have is, Have you, has your Earth ever been invaded by Cybermen? Because we've done the Dalek one and now we're doing the Cybermen one. It's a much simpler title. It's The Invasion. And it's got the most maniacal tech owner I've seen since, well, the tech owners in the modern world. Uh, joining me is another laughing Owen Cranston. He's lost it. He can't... The thing is, we've been trying this intro for so long that I now can't do an intro without him losing it because he knows how much I'm trying. So, hello, and welcome to Info Black Archive. You are listening to our review of The Invasion as we try to invade your earlobes. So, welcome. One and all, we're here. On an upload schedule still not known. This might get you before Christmas. The upload schedule recently has been... What, what would you call it? Um, whenever we can, can just say, has, has been the just sense say, of it. By the time this is uploaded, we might have the most perfect upload schedule because we are so far in advance now. <laughs> yeah, we, we might. We might be phenomenal. But frankly, I have no idea. It, it, it just seems to flip and flop and go between everything so who knows when you're listening to this who knows what time of day who knows what country you're in but wherever you are um thank you very much for joining us uh, for this discussion there is only one thing i know for sure james we are here mm. right here right now to discuss the cyberman invasion the invasion not the cyberman invasion just the invasion i know the show title because that because you don't need to say cyberman the invasion just says so, it all shall we start off with a simple question did you enjoy it i think like a lot of recent doctor who stories it falls right down that average category where frankly it just felt like a bit of a slog it, you see this is the thing which annoys me because it is a really good episode but it's eight episodes long that's longer than flux mm, it's longer than flux and we're trying to sum it all up in one podcast so you know thank you yeah i'd say it's better than flux. yeah even go home that's <laughs> it we've done i'll give it that it's better than flux and bearing in mind i'm only giving it that because of lethbridge stewart yeah brigadier now and absolutely no other reason because otherwise i look at it and i go side characters very one note but do the job side men invasion almost exactly how you expect they'll do it but does the job jamie gets to have fun but but there's it's kind of just the same problems and the same strengths there's no real development it feels like we've been watching these episodes a lot i, don't know, I enjoyed this one i enjoy i think it is too long don't get me wrong. It is way too long. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this episode. So shall we shall, shall we get into what this episode does in, in like the eight episodes that it takes to do it in? Yeah, so... Do you want me to do a summary? Do you want me to, is this is this is this for leading yeah. for you to for me to do a summary? I was trying to like link it in more subtly than I usually do, but it just didn't it just didn't land. So we watched this a few days ago now because Things came up and I may have forgotten a lot of the story. So let's see how well. Personally, I actually think this podcast will be us trying to remember the invasion. Let's see how well I can remember the episode we're here to review, <laughs> which is ridiculous. So we come off the back 
of the mind robber? Is that the name for Lost? Yes, we've just done the mind robber. So, so we've exited so the land of fiction We've exited now. the land of fiction, which means we're here in the real world on Earth, which we are actually on Earth. We crash land in the middle of a field. The chameleon circuit suddenly starts working. It just does. Reasons. Uh, we take out those broken circuit boards, which need to be repaired. We find the base of a new electronics manufacturer called IE? International Electromatics, IE. Yes, yes. International, um, Electronics, which you can see, which I cannot speak properly. Um, electromatics. <laughs> Even more than electronics. Um, where they go and break in and see the... Actually, no, did they break in straight? No, they didn't. They, get, they went to try to find the professor... professor, professor what is going on here? I think I've told you once before, I used to have a stutter and sometimes it gets back. <laughs> yeah, it must have come back. Yeah. Uh, so they arrive, they head for Travis's house, don't they? And then they find out that he's just, yeah, he's they, left. He has gone with Anne to the Americas and left behind a, a, a friend and his niece. The niece is a photographer she's more she's struggling to make end meet by herself she is attempting to start up this company so she is at home taking for predecessor to a selfie um they discover which her uncle the person who could potentially fix these chips is either at ie so they go over to ie they break in where they discover tobias something last name device born um this man, listeners, if you haven't seen this episode, is the most maniacal thing, I, I, almost maxable level maniacal throughout the entire story. And I, for one, am yes. living for it. He, he, he is very well done to the point where he doesn't overstep for Mark to the point of becoming too cheesy, but he is excellent. I love him. The only, the only thing I'd say is that is that it's a little repetitive what he does. The mm. only thing. But I think that's more to do with the fact that they were filling out eight episodes almost needlessly. Um, yeah, and then stuff happens. Yeah. They uh, bump into units for new unit run by Brigadier Leprous Stewart. Things happen. Cybermen come out of the sewers. Things happen. We, they stop them. And then things <laughs> happen and the episode ends. Nice sum up of six parts. <laughs> Easy enough. I think we should probably bring up the fact, before we get into conversations about our characters and everything, is that this is the first unit episode, or the first formalised unit yeah, episode. So, this, so if you don't know, this episode, as much as you might dislike it or anything like that... This, it's a backdoor pilot. This is one of the most important episodes of Doctor Who. I'm not... Just saying this, how I have done previously, how things are iconic, how they bring in things which can be brought back, like regeneration. This is the most important one because it guaranteed its survival. Because at this point, the BBC mm. was questioning whether they wanted to keep it going. So this here was an experiment to see if they could cut costs by just keeping their, their main characters trapped on modern day Earth, which meant they didn't need to build massively over complex sets. Everything was all sort of one location so they, they brought in unit to try it see if it worked and luckily it did it was very popular at the time which led to them keeping it on they brought back for 
Brigadier Lebris Stewart and a few other characters from this episode into the next season, mm. which will be in colour. Yay. Um, yes. And it's, and it's like a complete radical change for the show because we obviously we have the events of an upcoming serial at the end of season six will define this. But the Doctor is stranded on Earth, new body, new everything. And all he really has is unit. That's the familiarity we have from before. Other than that, the show is always completely different. Yeah, so this is a very important episode. And I have to say, things they brought in for the pilot worked very well. It really worked. Really well. The unit's environment, the um, everything which they do with unit, all help contextualise what's going on. The characters which they bring in in unit are very fun to be around. You enjoy being with them. Brigadier is, of course... Excellent. We wouldn't expect anything differently from him. But mm. our main characters, however, I am not sure. And and this is and I think this is the reason why the invasion needed to be a backdoor pilot. Mm-hmm. In reality, it is because the fundamental elements of what's been going on in the last couple of series are get have been getting mm. stale. Staler and Staler and Staler and something like Unit and the Brigadier and everything that's introduced in this episode gives it a really good kick because at least it means, okay, maybe that's not working, but look at all this new exciting stuff that could work later down the line that could really work. And it lays the foundation for why Doctor Who continued to work because it was able to reinvent itself. The reason it needed to reinvent itself, unfortunately, is because of um, just kind of stale not going anywhere writing i i continue to say it's very weird because first three seasons was very basic cheap very much 60s and then we had the amazing Mm. i'm still going to say it amazing season four troughton's first season yeah brilliant and then we went back to just questionable writing endlessly i don't know what happened it's as if, basically, they have one season of being excited about the Doctor because they think, oh, look, we have um, we have a new main character to play around with. And then once they've played around in the toy shed for too long, they go, oh, I'm bored of this Doctor. And then the next two seasons are just the same yeah, tricks. it's such a weird... Like, I understand how the first shift could happen because it's a new writing team, new technology, new Doctor. is more to play around with. But how do you so quickly go up, but then so quickly fall again? I don't know. A lack of motivation could be one. To be honest, I think the main thing is the nature by which Who was produced at that time mm. is that it was being on for most weeks of the year. I mean, we we live in a current modern world where we've only had seven episodes of Who in the past yeah. 12 months. And that that's frankly normal now in reality i mean this year we're only going to get if you include either the daleks as well uh, we're only getting three which can i just add people who degrade modern doctor who for this style of scheduling it's the same style of scheduling for any big hitter tv drama which takes place in the uk it's not abnormal it's not chibnall it's just how things are funded now yeah, the fact is, and this is like a wider discussion about television now, but if you want to make um, a 13-part season, even a 13-part season like we used to have um, in the Russell days, 
and the early Moffat days. Nowadays, you pretty much need an international financier to put up the money to make that look Especially good to enough. do it. So you're looking at Netflix. Especially to do it every year, like we had in T. Davies and Moffat. Yeah. The fact is that back then, it could be justified because costs were reduced and also who was pulling in 10 million viewers a week. And it's not just, not just that and- as well. BBC funding over the past few years has gone down the toilet. Yes, particularly since, um, oh God, political time. Particularly since the 2010 election, because that was kind of the start of those cuts. Uh, And that was when who started reducing its episode counts. Yeah, so let's not blame Chimnall here. Chimnall can be blamed for lots of things. Yes, absolutely. But let's make make sure we're blaming him for the right things. And things he actually has control over. Um, but, yeah, no, this this season of Doctor Who, back on track, sort of. Yeah, and sort of back to the point I had, which was uh, the whole thing that if you have more episodes, you need to rush more content. Yeah. However, this one here doesn't feel rushed. This episode, every so often you get episodes which sort of stand up tall in terms of production values. Every season mm. you have that one episode which stands out amongst all the rest. This one here is it. For production values, it's something mm. like we've never seen before. We've got so much outside filming. The characters, for the most part, are all engaged. The side men are quite fun to see. Um, yeah, and this is where a lot of those iconic old Cybermen shots come from. I mean, if you've seen any sort of textbook Cybermen shots from the classic era. It's probably from the invasion. It's probably from them in front of St. Paul's Cathedral. I do oversay this. It is one of the most iconic... It is one of the most important, but it's also one of the most iconic in terms of photography. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the production values are up there with something like... Even like Dalek Invasion of Earth. Perhaps it's like a slightly better production version of Dalek Mm -hmm. Invasion of Earth. It's... It takes the things that work to make them better. I like this one here, in a sense, more than Dalek Invasion. Because this one here, we see... Well, for Dalek Invasion, the invasion's already happened. In this one here, we mm. can see how they, the plan is. I only wish it, the actual invasion was slid slightly more forwards compared to the last two episodes, considering the run of this, episode, this, this story. Yeah, which it, I'll bring up later. But anyway... It feels like it could have been a lot more better done of showing the invasion, of like having the ramp up over the first two episodes, having the invasion over the next two episodes, the aftermath for a bit, and then going into the solution and the winning of the war. It feels like it could have been done a lot more better than Dark Invasion of Earth. Maybe. Maybe I'd go with that. The thing, the thing with Dalek Invasion of Earth is that you get exactly what you expect. The invasion's already begun, like you say. And so we're in the thick of this kind of war setting where everything feels dystopian. With the invasion, the invasion doesn't happen quickly enough. And so what you get is a lot of build-up and a lot of like, now we're meeting this character and this character, now we're talking about plans and we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're thinking, when are we going to actually get and to the thing? And also it's weird because it feels like in a way to stop needing to worry about having extras they just wipe out, they send the rest of the population to sleep, aside from main characters. But they miss the opportunity yeah. to have panic of having Cybermen around. Like, even if they've, even if, as an excuse to reduce the amount of extras they needed, they said, they 
Simon went to use this this radio frequency to to bring humans under cyber control. Oh no! It only worked on three quarters of the population. We've now got panic because the yeah people's relatives have been knocked out, and now look, there's Cybermen wandering the streets. Just amps up the pressure a lot more. They're going. Yeah, from a writing perspective, absolutely. You, you, I mean, I say it loads of times when we've done this podcast, but it is all about keeping the stakes like as high as you can get them. If they're not high, you won't, as a viewer, feel like anyone's under pressure. And I think this episode does have that problem. For all of the iconic photography and all the good bits, you do always feel like it's going to get resolved. It, you look at the sidebend in London and you think, oh, that's cool. You don't think, oh, God, imagine if London got invaded, which is really what they're aiming for. Instead, you look at them and go, oh, that's cute. I always wanted to see a side man in front of St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. It, it's a difficult episode. Should we talk about our characters? Yeah, let's get into it. Starting with... Oh, do you want to just talk about Lethbridge Stewart for a bit? Just just in this section? Because yeah, he's that good. We, he's, I, think, I think, look, he's going to be a main character next season. So we can start doing he this. He is truly a highlight of this episode. No other character shines quite as brightly as him. Um, I like the fact he's still got that slight disbelief in the Doctor, but still mm. kind of goes with the flow and goes, right, I don't believe you at all, but fuck it, you've, you've helped us out before. Yeah, uh, th- this is the thing I think that's fantastic about him because he, he reacts like a normal person mm. would. Alice Lethbridge Stewart reacts like a normal person would to things. He knows this shouldn't be happening, but also has to accept the reality yeah. that it is. And is just and is rolling with it. I think what's impressive about that character is he can do things that are objectively bad. Yes. And are objectively he's objectively called out on them for being bad. And yet you don't mind it because it's complex. And he's got reasons to do it. You as think, well. well, okay. Yeah, he has reasoning. He this is a character that makes mistakes. He, he is not a perfect sort of war hero guy. He is just, he's, he's the perfect example of he is just a guy trying to do the best thing he can. Yeah. And, and that makes him sort of a perfect foil to the Doctor, really, which is why I love their relationship so much, is that you have the Doctor being all out there with, with great big ideas about the universe and thinking about the zany aspect of it and sorting that out. But then you have the human element mm. in there. The, the grounded reality that brings that back. And I know once we get to the Pertwee era, we're going to see a lot more of that. And I can't tell you how excited I am to get us there. Because it's it's great to watch. Nicholas Courtney has a, has a presence. Yeah, he, he? he really... Like you're drawn he, he to ha- him. He has a really good feeling for the role already, despite only performing it twice. He already feels very in line. The role feels natural to him. It still amazes me to this day, which he was just for backup because the original actor pulled out. Yeah, it's just sometimes the best things happen because of yeah, massive mistakes. And my God, it's excellent which he's on board because he brings life to this slightly dreary story. See, I, I was I was watching a YouTube documentary the other day randomly. It's about this baseball pitcher. And like the only reason he became a baseball pitcher was because he was like a batter, and one day they didn't have any pitchers, so they were like, "Who's got the strongest arm? Like, just just throw." And then this guy had the strongest arm, so like, all right, you can pitch. 
and it, and it turned out he was so good at pitching, he became like a Hall of Fame pitcher. And he would have never have known it if some guy didn't get injured. He just had no idea. If you saw my face while he started that story... <laughs> he must have thought that was going nowhere. I was, think- I was, was thinking, nowhere. where the fuck is he going with this? Anyway... <laughs> no, no, I was staying relatively anyway, on Should we topic. talk about our actual main characters? Yeah, outside of, of uh, Blessed Alistair. Shall we talk about uh, the Doctor? Because we've sort of mentioned the way he plays off Lethbridge Stewart as being yeah. good. How is he without Lethbridge Stewart? He gets a lot of time with Vaughn. I liked he? his back and forth with Vaughn because it's the same thing we had in yeah. um, uh, the Faceless Ones with Captain Blaine. It's obvious which this. Exactly. This evil being has got an intellect of the same level or similar level to the Doctor, so can think ahead, can play with him, which is a lot better than sort of like the docile films we come sometimes have. This this is yeah. a very fun relationship between the two of them. We can see them constantly game planning each other, falling over, getting back up again, and trying again. See, I, the only thing is, I think the difference between the Doctor and Vaughan, and this is to the Doctor's advantage is Vaughan always looks like he's catching up mm. with himself. So the thing Kevin Stoney does really well is Vaughan is clever, but he doesn't make Vaughan in control mm. at all. He's right on that edge of he thinks he's in control, but he kind of knows he's not, and so he's wrestling for control all of the time, and that's why he's so on edge and so willing to flip. It's kind of like a better version of her moon base, in a sense, of we've got people, We've That's got great, people yeah, who great point. want to use the Cybermen to their own advantage, only to realise too late in the game. Uh, admittedly, here Vaughn realises and goes against them. I don't think we can't re- remember if we had that in Team of Cybermen. Uh, no, no, Cleed doesn't. Um, yeah, just dies with it because he's still convinced at, that they'll accept at logic. At least Vaughn has that turn at the end. But it's that similar sort of thing of thinking, no, the Cybermen will work with me. They will not betray me. They We will win. And just going at that and then realising, oh shit, they're not. And luckily he turns, unlike, and does not do a, a Maxwell style thing of just insisting which he was get his way. Yeah, he's not about the transmutation of water into gold. Yeah. Metal into gold. Is it metal into gold or water into gold? I can't even remember anymore. I can't remember. Something something goes into gold. The reason I was going to say that that works for the Doctor is that it's a good contrast the fact that the Doctor always seems composed. Yes. It's one of those episodes where sometimes we've had, I think, Doctor Who stories where, where Trout's composure makes you lose stakes. But in reality, his composure is kind of used to play off Vaughn here. And so it works in the context. And so you feel like you're with the calm side of things as opposed to with the absolute mania that, that Vaughn's delivering a lot of the time. I want to just say about Vaughn's actor, being told mm. a main feature of your character, and the main reason why the Doctor finds you suspicious, is that you have to blink less. Imagine, <laughs> as, a, imagine as an actor it. being told, look, you need to be really serious. You're this maniacal person who's very intelligent. But... You cannot blink when the camera is on you. <laughs> but the result of it is really off-putting. Like, it just, it never looks right. And his eyebrow always being slightly raised as well. I think there, there are great moments. And I think, 
It's almost timeless in a way, because I think this is how most tech billionaires are like. Eh, I don't... I would disagree with that, knowing tech billionaires. I don't know them personally, but I know their characters. I don't... You just think that there's got to be one who has the capacity to turn like that, because because they're so used to having power. Yes, but you mistake that for... What's the best way to put this? Having social skills. Like, if you look at, face, at Mark Zuckerberg... Hmm. Yeah, he has no social skills. The one where power really did get involved in terms of big social... In terms of big tech companies, is Twitter's foundation. Do you know about how much do you know about Twitter's foundation? I know a little bit about Twitter's foundation, but not the full story. Uh, so essentially, Twitter is built off this massive power play out of their four founders, one of which was not mm. even credited as a founder for years because they just refused to acknowledge this guy. Um, essentially, it was uh, Jack Dorsey. Biz Stone, yeah. Ev Williams, and Noah Glass started up Twitter from the ashes, or like a phoenix of a podcasting company. Surprisingly, they were surprisingly head of their game called yeah. or, called Audio or Oreo or something along those lines. Um, it wasn't going very mm. well, so so I think Jack had the idea, and then Noah started working on it. Noah was the original sort of like leader. Noah got sacked. Um, Jack got made CEO. Jack was doing badly, so Ev kicked him out. Twitter was doing relatively mm. well. Uh, Jack was after revenge, so he took he he pursued a coup against Ev at one, and then Jack became the leader. Yeah, and that is why we know Jack Dorsey's being the founder of Twitter. Like nobody really yeah, thinks about the Jack, other guys. Literally, um, Jack would go around when he wasn't even in the company anymore. It was just a non-speaking board member would go around saying which he founded it, despite the fact that it blatantly was not true. Mm. And just giving no acknowledgement to Noah. Noah is not on the internet anymore. Mm. But perception, but perception's everything. Yeah. And I think that's that's why Vaughan works. Because his perception of things is that because he owns this massive tech company, which we know is the biggest in the world, and it's mentioned quite a few times, he is used at getting, getting his way, and he believes that applies to the Cybermen as well, because he doesn't understand the idea that there can be anyone more powerful mm -hmm. than him. And he only realises that at really the last moment. And he, and he gets a good arc out of it, which is why I really like the way Vaughn goes. But the fact that it only works the last second adds to the fact that this is a character who's consumed a bit by power and has lost maybe yeah. his reasoning in ways because of that. And that's why the Doctor wins, because he has his reasoning about him. Shall, we've talked about Vaughan, we've talked about the Doctor, we've talked about Leprous Stewart. Shall we move on to our companions? Yeah, I think we need to talk about Jamie and Shall Zoe. Shall we with Jamie? Yeah. How, how do you fight, find Jamie in this? Is it is it classic fun Jamie, or is it the going through the motions kind of tired Jamie for you? I think it's for mixture of both, but for worst elements of both. Yeah, because I remember we had a conversation before about this episode where you felt like the banter was just getting too much and it was almost it stopping was episode getting tracks. to the point of grinding. It was when which the Doctor was looking through the circuit board of the radio, looking for stuff. Mm, and early on. Jamie kept going, Oi, don't break it! Just endlessly. And I'm just kind of sat there going, what the f 
just let him look at it. You know he he won't break it purposefully. Yeah, you know he knows circuit boards. You clearly um, don't, Highland boy. And just think about it. If Jamie actually let him look at that radio properly, the story would have been a lot shorter. And it's mm. just one thing. It was just that constantly. It just got a little bit grinding after a while. Yeah, I find that what it makes me think of is, you know, like the golden days of season four when the Doctor and Jamie were just mm. bouncing so well. It feels like they've forgotten why they bounce yes. so well now. They just think, oh, if they're funny, it works. No, the reason is because they've got contrasting points mm. and they're funny. And so it's it's a sense of writers losing touch of what actually made their writing good. It's a bit like, um, I think Moffat can be responsible for that sometimes. It's like a modern example. Like he believes he's a good writer because he's complex. In reality, the complexity makes it worse. Um Things like that. So Jamie's, I think, been the biggest casualty of the whole, maybe the last couple of seasons of writers failing to understand why who was working before. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you share my belief in that it actually got a little bit grinding and a little bit irritating? I, I think so, yeah. Look, I'm happy for the Doctor and Jamie to, to bicker, bicker and banter mm. because it's good. And I still think they bounce well. It's just when it's not done for a narrative purpose at all. And it just feels like they've shoved it in there as if to... Like tick a box and say, "Oh well, we've given the the, the viewing public this." Yeah, and it is when it interrupts the storyline, like having them hold hands as they walked exactly into the tomb of Simon Men. Didn't stop the storyline in its tracks at all. It was just a funny laughy bit. Having Jamie mm. going, "Oh, you want me to stay here in the tomb of Simon Men?" When, when Doctor was telling everyone to leave, didn't interrupt the story. That's just a funny one line. Yeah, and that that's exactly what you need. It can't... You want to just, like, make a little... Maybe, like, a little dent in the narrative with your humour. Just a little, like, oh, yeah, we can laugh in a serious situation. As opposed to cutting the thing in half uh, and sawing the body, and then all of a sudden all you have is humour and then a sawed body. And you lose track of where you should be in the story. And that's been an issue. I think last season with the love story, that really killed Jamie in a lot of ways. Now that that's gone he's been better but i still don't think it's great and i mean we're coming to the end now for jamie which is really sad because me he's been the best companion yeah. we've had and now for me- not one of not the main not event, best companions we've had we have got zoe, zoe. the character's name who i definitely zoe, were you just waiting for me to the say the character's it? name who i definitely <laughs> did not forget <laughs> My You're my brain just went me. blank. I had no clue. <laughs> um, no, it's definitely Zoe. She she gets more to do this episode than I think actually she's had in you others. Know what? As much as we you were criticising her, I don't think she was too bad in this one. No, I think she's an okay character. I don't think she gets beyond that. But considering the last few female characters have definitely not even hit that point, she it's has a welcome something change. to do in this episode. She leads to events being successful. She. Doesn't just sit mm. in a corner and cry when she gets kidnapped. She's trying to work out a way. She notices which they're being watched to try to stop a person's name who I've forgotten. Oh, goodness me. You yeah, research no, while, I, cont- while I continue bit. talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, the, is this the bit where they're like blowing up the robot receptionist or is this later, later on? on? But the same character. Um, they, they notice. Oh, okay. Is that what it is about? Yes. She's with. Isabel. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, when, there is, well. when they're captured, um, 
Zoe realises which they're being watched and tells Isabel to shut the hell up. She uses her brain, even <clears> in those potentially damsel in distress moments. She saves the Earth because she realises which using a particular mathematical equation, they could blow up all of the um, Simon's initial invasion force. In a chain, in a chain reaction. reaction, yeah. Which is so much more than we could say Victoria would do. Exactly. And it's not like when you had... when Say we had Poppy doing a good thing, because Poppy would occasionally do a good thing, but then it would be undercut by someone saying, oh, she should just make go make tea. You don't get that with Zoe. You've got your hand up. Sir, you've made a mistake, sir. Mm. Who's Poppy? That's oh, Polly, yes. isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> shows, you how, shows, shows you how memorable she was, really. Because Polly had such a good start. I was sat here going, who the hell is Poppy? Who is... Oh, no, she means Polly. <laughs> Polly? Polly? I said Polly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I don't, I don't think she was that bad in this episode. You know what? I agree with you. And as much as that whole chain reaction thing is a massive deus ex machina, you can get away with it because we know that Zoe is from the future and is intelligent. So we can run with it. These are things and, and leaps that you're allowed to take as a writer. Just. And also, it's kind of argue which isn't a deus ex machina because we've got the reasons for it to take place. It doesn't end the story. It it adds as layer onto the story. And we also have got reason behind it taking place. We know which... We know which Zoe is a genius from the future. But that's it. That's the reason it works. And I'd call it a deus ex machina if it wasn't for that. And also, it doesn't cause the story to end. It just ends that element and introduces the mega bomb. Oh, yes. The, the mega neutron yeah. bomb. So how many Who episodes are we going to get ending with a big bomb? Because this is not the first. No, but it's one of the first which didn't actually go off. True. I mean, Dalek Invasion of Earth, we have a big bomb. There was, I mean, hell, there was a really recent episode where they were trying, where we had to catch another bomb. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there coming down um, somewhere? Yes, I think it's the last one we did. I'm I'm going. Yeah, was it was it mind rubber there? No, it was one before that. Oh right. Do you remember what it was called? That's a really good question. Uh, don't not without looking it up. Without looking it up, don't look it up. I can see your before, mouth going before the, the mind rubber. Yes, because I, I can I can see it in my head. Like I can see them having to sort the bombs out. It will just dominate your brain. Don't worry. It, it, you, you'll work it out eventually. No, but it's really annoying me now because I can see I can see it in my mind's eye. Let's just make sure it doesn't dominate this discussion. So let's let's move on. Dominators, yeah. the dominators, the dominators. You were just saying dominate the whole time, weren't you? You ass. <laughs> were you just you were just like suck? <laughs> Slowly inserting it in. Yeah. I thought you were getting it when I said don't let it dominate your mind because that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> destroy <laughs> I have to say this season any if it's given us anything there's a lot of camp stuff yes this is like every episode's had something crazy right we've already talked for around 35 minutes 
that's good. I think there's one or two things more we should talk about. Um, I want to have a conversation about one side character that I think people forget from this episode and realistically needs a better run of things because he spends the entire thing getting screamed at, which is Packer. Oh, I love Packer. I love Packer. Packer. <laughs> Packer! Packer! <laughs> Packer. I think. I mean, if we had more time, we'd do it ourselves. But if there's a if there's a listener out there that has absolutely no absolutely loads of time in their hands, please do this and make a supercut of every time Vaughn screams Packer. I reckon it'd be longer than this podcast. The annoying thing is about Packer is that he is set up to be the stupid person, the stupid psychic who just wants to kill people. Yeah, he's the foil. He's the you know the idiot. But he turns the out theory. to be right the entire time. <laughs> it's like what which is why I'm which is why I'm here trying to justify and give him sympathy it's like this guy's had to take so much shit for eight episodes of shit and it turns out that he was right it's like a, we should probably kill the doctor yes you probably should try and mm. for one second no no we won't oh we shouldn't let that we shouldn't let that Cyberman down there oh no it's fine why not it'll just kill <laughs> Are you sure we can trust the Cybermen? Yes. Yes. No, no, we can't trust them, but that's why we've got this plan. But are you sure your plan will work? Yes, it will definitely work. I've planned this for five years. <laughs> oh, yeah, when Vaughn starts going on about his five-year plan. Like, oh, uh, God, Packer. No one ever really announces that they have a five-year plan. They, they have their own little... Like, I have my own in a five-year plan. Like, I know where I want to be in five years. Sure. When you make a big song and dance like about it, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just like a broader political shall, point. Shall but, I tell you the trick about it, about long-term planning? What's the trick? Never do five years. Always do three. Three-year plans? Yeah, three-year plans just sound a bit more manageable, don't they? They sound a bit more manageable. You don't need to plan for things which might go disastrously wrong in the future. You've always got a slight hold on things. But enough about Owen's life lessons. Let's get on to this story because we've been here for a while. Yeah, Packer's one of my one of my sort of preferred side characters. I also like Isabel. Yeah. She's got kind of a fight about it. She reminds me of do you remember the girl from the face of the swans? Yes. It's come down it's come down from yeah. Liverpool. It's a bit of a reminder of that. Like we could have had a lot more of her, and I feel like Isabel has a future if 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 the writers ever had wanted to go that yeah. way. In the end, the characters that stay on for the unit stuff later on are actually some of the the less memorable ones, I think, in a way. Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, is it, am I right? I'm right in saying that Isabel's um, unit boyfriend is staying on, isn't he? Benton, I think it is. Benton, yeah. I'm pretty sure Benton stays on. But we do actually need to get on to this story because there's a lot of it and we're already running out of time. Mm. So. See, my interpretation was we talk about this, we could avoid actually having to remember the details. Good point, but we at least need to work out for skeleton. <laughs> the skeleton, it's fairly simple. So they arrive in the field, don't yeah. they? And then there's really the first two episodes is getting to know IE. Yeah. Which feels a bit slow. But also it's important because they are the main players in this story. And they are set up to be this massive, complicated company. Mm. There's, there's like a sort of dystopian off-put vibe to it. Particularly those robot receptionists. I mean, the, f- the fact that the Doctor gets frustrated with robot receptionists, I think, is both funny and kind of speaks to the nature of... Maybe there's a theme in that about kind of the, the modernization yeah. of business. 
which which I think resonates. And there are a few clever little details throughout the invasion that you do think, oh, actually, that's like a decent point they've made there. There's like a little bit of commentary without feeling like it's going over the top of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's quite nicely done. You get references to, obviously, Travers, the Yeti come up as well once we meet Alistair. So it's all within the context of some of the episodes we've had before. So it feels nicely baked in and... But the only issue I have is just we don't get the invasion started quickly enough. Mm. It We're just kind of going round in circles for a lot of the episodes. Like, some of the random bits of sidetrack, like, why, why is Zoe modelling? Yeah, I think that's the main flaw of this episode, is that it doesn't start with its main premise until, until too later on. Because mm. even if they started with the invasion, then had, like, a slight time jump of the invasion having of taken place for a while. Just things yeah. like that would have made the story so much more enjoyable. But they spend so much time essentially just farting around. Yeah. It just feels a bit loose. That's the most irritating thing about this episode, because there's so many good points, which could be really good. Mm. But then they just kind of just don't... They're intercut with a lot of nonsense. It's I've said it before. And it's I worked out the source from this. It was the um, this is why Sherlock is garbage YouTube video, which I have watched. You watched it all. I've watched like two thirds of it. You watched it all. Um, I put it on when I was like going to sleep, and I felt I always fall asleep for those long videos, and then I find myself wake up in the morning and I've auto played to something um, random. But he says something along the lines of a writer should always have to condense their strip to script down because it means they remove all the junk. Yeah, okay, I remember that. Uh, it feels like this is another one of those scripts which if this had have been forced to go down to six parts, we would have a story which would justify six parts finally outside of a Dalek invasion because it's got enough yeah. threads in there to hold your attention. But those two extra episodes, they just drag it on. That's not even. It's not even like there's episodes like we've had before in uh, the Underwater Menace. Is that an episode which I'm thinking of, or is it one I've just made up? For Fury from the Deep. Underwater Menace. For Fury from the yeah, Deep. Yeah, Fury from the Deep. Um, where we felt like we could ch- cut out entire episodes. Like full episodes. It yeah, that isn't go. that extreme, which is the annoying thing. It's subtle. It's just. Subtly, just things just take slightly too long. The invasion takes a while to sink in. Yeah, that's that's essentially what I've got to say on it. Really, it's that it's. Yeah, I think. Sorry, everything beyond like episodes six to eight actually feels on pace. Yes. Like that feels pretty good in terms of the rhythm, but it's the bits before we just take too long to get going, and I think the episode takes too long to really recognise what it wants to do exactly. And you're meeting all these threads without really knowing how they fit. Once they fit, it's quite satisfying. But because you spent so long thinking, there's this big drop-off in the middle where you think, are we ever going to find this out, or are we just going to go around in circles again? I don't... I'm not sure if there's much more I want to say, honestly, oddly enough. In reality, no. I, I think you can talk about it in generalities, which is that once Unit arrive and we really get into that side of things, the episode always has like a momentum going yeah. for it. Like, you know where it wants to go, and that keeps you interested. And there's and there's a lot of great sequences in that sort of section where we're talking about it getting slow. Like, um, Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel in the sewers, 
with the Cybermen surrounding them. It's a really good sequence. Yeah. Well produced. It's quite tense. Anything involving Alistair kind of umming and eyeing about whether his plan is correct, when in reality it isn't, uh, is always engaging. I think that's the greatest thing about Lepra Stewart, is that his plans very rarely work. Hmm. But you admire him anyway because he made the plan and he gave his absolute all and he had the yeah. right intentions. And and that makes him honourable as opposed to someone who's successful by yeah. luck. Do you, do you think when we finally get to it, do you think the invasion pays off? Yeah, I think it does in the end because you get you get the great photography and the great really the iconography of seeing the Cybermen running around London, much like those iconic shots we got with the Daleks back in season two. It has it has a similar effect. I think they could have done it slightly better. I'm with you on getting extras in big time. Mm. That would have really added to that. Having a bit of panic, people running around. But even so, like the quality of the, the production there is really good. And it feels genuinely exciting and action-packed and you're not quite sure how they're going to fix it. You know they will, but they're not quite sure how. And Vaughn throughout that entire sequence is so engaging and so well put across and constructed as a villain, even though he can be a bit repetitive and a little over the top, is that you're always engaged throughout that sort of five to eight, five to eight, six to eight section is pretty good. It's just you wish episode six was like episode four. So... How do you feel like it ended? What was the ending like for you? What was the ending like? Um, it was a little bit epilogue in places, but actually I thought they got the pace relatively okay with the end. Now, I'm going to put to you here, it has an element of the sense rights. Has an element, does yes. it? Yes. Because we, we're running up... We see Simon pouring in. We know where the control room is. We need to get to the control room. But we've fought off for Simon. Just about fought off for Simon. We're struggling to get to the control room. Doctor goes, go to the control room. Yes, so we managed to make our way into the control room and neutralise the threat. When you're out of budget, you're out of budget. <laughs> is, the, is the main lesson. <laughs> When you've just got no money, what it can you do? It feels like they create? somehow managed to run out of time to do the ending. <laughs> you know, the B- the BBC production budget only goes so far. Like, they had Cybermen in St. Paul's. How much does that cost to hire St. Paul's out? Or, um, you know, get security clearances and cordons around to do that shot? Yeah. It, but, you know, it, it was a good, enjoyable episode. How do you, how do you, how do you rank it? I'm going to give this a six. I think, I think it could go to a seven, but I just think it takes a little too long to get going. If this was a six-parter, this is an eight or a nine. I thought you were going to go lower. No, I think I think the more we've spoken about it, the more I'm warming to it. Like I, I see the problems, and they're pretty obvious, and, and that can be frustrating, especially from a writing perspective for me. But it's, it's weighed off by the fact that most of the big characters are good Mm -hmm. you have a fair bit of fun particularly towards the end when the invasion does pay off and in terms of its significance and it's iconic to who itself you can see all of the seeds of how who kept going after Troughton and they're all here and they're all built in and you understand why it was the right decision for the program makers to take at that Mm -hmm. time so overall, don't think it's perfect at all, but it's pretty good. 
and fairly enjoyable. I'm I'm going to agree with you with a six. I feel like eight parts is too long, but yeah, the characters which are there are fun to be with. I enjoyed their company. The iconography for cinematography is on point. Production values are probably strongest since Web of Fear as well. Has to yeah, be said. it's some of the best, best production, best use. This is a very random. This is a very open phrase, but I hope you get what mm. I mean by it. It's for best use of things. <laughs> I, uh, I sort of know what you mean, but that is amazingly vague. It's, it's everything like in use is done well. It's just a shame for writing isn't quite there. Yeah, I think so. It it it's got like the skeleton. It's almost like the skeleton of it's really strong, but the actual the meat on it is not like perfectly cooked. It's like a little bit tough. It's still good, but but you know how good it could have been, and that can be slightly disappointing. Overall, though, I think it's worth a watch. But particularly if if you want kind of the the cliff notes history of who, if you want to know where things change, this is a great episode to get into. It's also um, you know the first ever animations were done for yes. this. Oh, quick thing before we get to the end, what do you think of the animations? Good question. Yeah, because um, this episode, some of it survived, some of it's animated, so it's a bit two of a hybrid. Two episodes died. Yeah, the the two episodes that are animated, I think, go okay. It, it, you can tell it was the early days. Yeah. Is all I'll say. It's a bit rickety, but it does the job. Exactly, it, it does the job. Gets the point across, and I think it's almost. I feel it's a bit of a mugging the animation off a little bit but once you get back to the real life it kind of adds to the production values in a way i I don't think that says a lot on the animation but it helps in an odd way but anyway as always before i was going to a really good segue but then you talk too long and remind me about the animation so i'm going to go up the segue anyway just do the segue anyway before we become like the overcooked meat that james just described let's end this podcast here (laughs) never overcook meat Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed your (laughs) stay with us. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can be updated when when we sporadically upload things. And also, if you enjoy it, leave a review down below. Give us a star rating. Leave us a review. Come on. Come on. Come on. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you you really think. Unless it's negative, in which case, don't tell us what you really think. F*** off. James, over to you to how to contact us. Yeah, once once you're done giving us that sweet, sweet algorithm, um, if you want to say hi or say anything about what you thought of this episode, if you've watched it or if you haven't, or just want to say anything about Doctor Who, really, uh, we're available on Twitter at Black Archive Pod, which is all one word, as you expect. And we also have an email address if you prefer long-form essaying out uh, your thoughts on who, and that is blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Com. That's blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Say so thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed. We'll, we'll join us next time when we will be reviewing the Kronos. Kronos. Something. It, my God, that image looks. <laughs> my God, that is an interesting looking episode. We'll be reviewing that next week. Goodbye. <laughs> next week are you sure we'll see you in three to seven business months <laughs> just before christmas which one we don't know Bye bye <laughs>
<laughs> this is what you should do. You should get in contact with us which year you're listening to this in. We'll be really interested to find out. This joke could be really out of date because we don't know what our schedule is going to be like. But anyway, goodbye. I know. It's funny. See you later.